My major pain has, has been invisible. The mobility aid makes it better. It gives me freedom. It can get to the core beliefs we have about ourselves. Don't ever think you're alone. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Kristen about hyperhidrosis, the excessive sweating disease. Kristen will often experience excessive sweating from the moment she wakes up until the moment she goes to bed. And this is not just a little bit of sweat, but dripping sweat. No matter the temperature of the room she's in, even if it's cold, her body just needs to sweat. Frustratingly, the medical community doesn't have any idea what causes this disease. What touched me the most about Kristen's story today is the way she discussed the shame that she felt for being sweaty all the time. It wasn't until she started therapy about six years ago that she finally started to unravel the ways in which she had been masking this her entire life, hiding it from the world around her, hiding a piece of herself from the world around her. And she got so good at hiding it that a lot of people in her life had no idea that she was excessively sweating all the time. But once she started to examine this in therapy and started to be public about it, she realized the power of letting go of some of that shame and about living in her own body, accepting her own body the way it is, and accepting the fact that her body just needs to sweat. And there's a really beautiful story in here about acceptance and about learning to manage something that is chronic. And if you are someone who lives with hyperhidrosis, there's a lot of really amazing tips and tricks in this episode, some really practical things you can try to manage this disease. And, you know, that's what Kristen is doing now with her advocacy. She started a website, howtohyperhidrosis.com, and she's sharing her story. She's sharing these things that she has learned that have helped her, because when she was growing up, she couldn't find these resources. There was no how-to website about how to live with hyperhidrosis, so she created it. Part of what I love about doing this podcast is learning about new diseases that I've never heard of before, and this one was absolutely fascinating. So many great details. Kristen did an incredible job of sharing about what she's going through. I'm also, of course, extremely interested in the personal story and what people go through learning to live with things that are difficult, and Kristen also did a really excellent job of describing that in her own story. So, great episode today. Very excited to share it. Before we get to that, a couple of really quick announcements. So normally I have things I like to share with you about how you can support this podcast. This week, I'm going to keep it extra short. Just head to majorpainpodcast.com slash support. You can find all of the information right there. I do have to thank our Patreon producers who are supporting this podcast with monthly financial contributions. We have three tiers of support on Patreon, starting at $2 per month, going all the way to $25 per month. And our producers are at that top tier. So thank you so much to Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. We have a real treat for our entire Patreon community this week, an amazing bonus episode that just came out a couple days ago. I put a link in the description of this podcast. If you are already supporting the podcast on Patreon, that link will work, and if not, it will take you to a locked post. And once you're on Patreon, you can sign up for as little as $2 per month to unlock that post and listen to this great bonus episode. I'm going to keep it extra brief today. I'm having a rough health day. Uh, I've had a couple in a row because I really pushed myself too hard. I've been doing so much better recently that I don't know where my boundaries are, and I pushed through a boundary and hit a brick wall, so I'm struggling a little with speaking today. I know you can't tell from listening to this, but there are 
a bunch of takes that I've deleted because I couldn't get through a sentence. So, <laughs> so I'm just going to leave it brief. Thank you so much for listening. We got a great episode for you today. I really appreciate all your support. And as I just mentioned, you can find all the ways to support this podcast at majorpainpodcast.com slash support. I'll remind you as always that I am not a medical professional. Please do not take any action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our amazing episode with Kristen about hyperhidrosis. Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Hi. I'm excited to meet you and I'm excited to hear your story today. We're going to be talking about a disease I had never heard of before. And I, I saw you on Instagram and saw a new disease name and I immediately reached out and said, hey, let's do a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Kristen, let's get to know you a little bit. Why don't you tell us about yourself? Okay. So right now I'm a PA student. Um, I just finished my first year. Um, outside of that, you know, I started this blog about my condition, probably right before the pandemic as just more of like a therapeutic outlet for myself. So that's definitely been something that's helped me along my journey mm. and use like my creative side. Um, aside from that, you know, right now, like I was mentioning, I'm on my vacation break right now from school. So I'm trying to be a normal human being outside of just being a full-time student. <laughs> yeah. And remind me, what, what does PA stand for? A physician assistant. Oh, interesting. So you're, you're studying to be a physician's assistant. What's that like? It's really interesting. Like my motivation behind becoming a PA is very much rooted in my experience as a patient. Mm. And like, I want to be the provider essentially that I never had. And so <laughs> it's very interesting learning things and questioning how I'm being taught and kind of formulating how I want to change the way I want to be a practitioner. Um, because there are definitely some gaps, I think, between what we're being taught and what's really happening out there. And, you know, like I mentioned, my experience as a patient, I think definitely molds how differently I might want to practice. Yeah, super interesting. I mean, I think anyone with a chronic illness, especially something that's hard to diagnose, uh, experiences some degree of medical gaslighting of doctors telling you that what you're experiencing isn't real or brushing you off. So that's so interesting that you're, you know, wanting to join that system and change it instead of, you know, uh, talking about it from the outside like I do and just complaining about it all the time. <laughs> you wanna... <laughs> There's a lot to complain about, so I don't blame you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you want to actually get in there and try to make some some actual change. Yeah, I mean, I... I... You've mentioned this on previous podcasts and I can definitely relate of just sometimes it's hard when providers don't believe you. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a big thing that like holds true with a lot of our conditions is um, the struggle as a patient. Like we don't want to be here. We're here because we're trying to figure out what's going on. And I just need you to be open to like wanting to figure it out. I don't need to know, you know, I, we just need support essentially. Yeah. And, um, 100%. I think a little bit can go a long way. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking of this one particular situation where I, it was with a neurologist. I talked to the, um, to the physician's assistant for like 45 minutes. He took so many notes and I was mm -hmm. so excited about the situation. The doctor walked in and he was gone within five minutes. 
provided nothing, no help at all. Just said, I don't think this is a neurological thing that I can help you with and just left. And I mean, he gave like one thing to try and I, you know, it's just so incredibly deflating. Like I never want to go back and see him again, just move on to the next doctor. Uh, but that's been my experience over and over so many times. Definitely. I, I, and I have the similar experiences and then I have like this one story of this one doctor I walked in and like, they actually knew what my condition was. And after the appointment, I just cried because I was like, this has never happened before. Like mm. I never thought that I would meet someone and I like, they would maybe know a little bit more than me and they might actually be able to help me. And I called my mom and it was just like a ha aha moment. Cause like, it was just so rare and like, it's sad that I had to have that experience, but unfortunately, like that's just what's out there. Yeah, I know. Totally. Yeah. I'm seeing a doctor now who's been a great help and my primary care physician has been a great help. So those doctors are out there, but it is so hard to find. It shouldn't be, the ratio that it is. So I applaud you for uh, <laughs> trying to change that. I mean, if you know, to enter the field and try to be that person for someone else, and maybe you can impact other people that you work with along the way. I think that's very admirable. It's very cool. Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about your health condition. We're, we're dancing around it here. So Kristen, yeah. <laughs> what is your major pain? I have a condition called hyperhidrosis. Um, Essentially, I excessively sweat from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed. Um, other people with the condition will sweat at night as well. And this isn't just like sweat. Like this is like dripping, dripping sweat that mm. happens. So like the second I wake up, my whole body, so my feet, my like behind my knees, my lower back, my underarms, my hands, my face will just strip sweat. Um, it's independent of like your environment or anything like that. You could have, um, some people will like sweat just from their hands and their feet, other people, their whole body, some people just their face or their scalp. So it really varies, but mine is the whole body. <laughs> so wow. I excessively sweat from my entire body uncontrollably. So hyperhidrosis and yeah, I'd never heard of this one before. Is there any, uh, science around the cause of this or the mechanism behind how it works? They still don't really know. And there's kind of just research lacking in determining what causes this. Um, there, there's more research right now that has been established just determining that it can be debilitating. Hmm. How yeah. common is this disease? There's about three to 5% of, you know, our population that has hyperhidrosis. So it's one of these conditions that I say, it's not rare. It's just rarely talked about. Um, you've probably met someone who has it or you know someone who has it, but they're just probably hiding it because we're really good at hiding. <laughs> mm, yeah. Or, I mean, I'm, I bet there's people out there who have it and have never heard of the disease and have just learned to learn to mask it in some way. Right. And I think because sweating is such a normal thing that human beings do, it's easy to just dismiss it as, oh, I'm just sweaty a lot. But um, I, I remember just from a really young age, I was like, there's something definitely just different about my sweating. Mm. And uh, it started with just thinking like, oh, maybe I'm just anxious. But over the years, you learn that like, it's the condition that causes my anxiety, not the anxiety that causes my condition. And that's a, a big misconception that many 
medical providers will have, which can be extremely frustrating because if they don't understand the condition itself and how it can just manifest out of nowhere, um, you really get a lot of patients that are like, you know, similar to, to what you're talking about, just being dismissed or, or deflated just by, you know, not understanding or listening to, you know, what's really going on. Yeah, I can totally imagine that happening in this scenario in particular, where you go to the doctor and say, hey, I'm sweating. And they're like, okay, go home, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. And you're like, I feel like I'm sweating a lot. And they're like, okay, well, you're just anxious. It's like, well, I feel like maybe I'm anxious because I'm sweating a lot. And it's like, no, you're just anxious, go home. Uh, I'm assuming that's kind of the general cycle of what you've experienced. Definitely. And I, I remember one of my first appointments with the provider, they were like, well, we don't really know why it happens, but there's like at the time, but there's no like treatment. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> I was probably 14 when I was officially diagnosed, but I've had this since I was four years old. Wow. Okay. Tell me about the time between four and 14 when you, you have the condition, uh, and kids are mean, you know, and, you know, I, I know what it's like to, to be sweaty and to have people mock you for it, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's absolutely happened to me throughout my childhood. I think I was, you know, I'm, I don't think I have hyperhidrosis, but I do think that I was an above average sweaty kid. Uh, right. So, and I, I know, you know, I, I remember being in class and if I had any sweat under my arms that was visible, I would just walk around with my arms down feeling so ashamed and I didn't want anyone to see it or point it out. And I mean, even in high school, I remember, I remember feeling that way. So talk me through your experience of that before you were diagnosed. Uh, what was that like for you? So at like a very young age, you know, I was four years old and you don't really know how to verbalize what you're experiencing in general. And so on top of that, I had hyperhidrosis and I just realized like, some things are harder for me than the kids around me. And I don't really know why I know it's probably related to my sweat. And I've, I was always told like that as a kid, I would carry around a purse and everything in my purse would just be just a bunch of tissues. <laughs> and I, and that's how I knew I had hyperhidrosis at a younger age, because that's something I did when I became like a teen, I would always have tissues or something to like wipe my sweat down. And so over the years, you know, you're just noticing like, they can do this, I can't do this. And one of the like biggest examples I remember is like the monkey bars. So the kids would be on the monkey bars and I try it and I would just slip right away. Like oh, wow. I have no grip, like it's dangerous. I would just slip right away. And it, that was just one of many things like throughout the years that I realized, you know what, like I can't do this, they can do this. And I would just start like checking things off like, I can't do this. They can do this. So I kind of like built this identity of like, I have limitations. I don't know why I don't understand what's happening with my body. Um, and my parents, similarly, like it's not a very well known condition. Didn't know how to help me because the doctors, they would take me to, they similarly just didn't know. So over the years, I think, especially in high school, there came a point where I was just kind of, fed up with my circumstances because it's constant managing. Mm. Um, I would wear baggy, you know, I would always have a sweater on because I need to cover, I would use the sleeves to cover my hands to soak up my sweat. I had the underarm sweat going. So 
no matter what I did, I would just have underarm sweat all the way down to my waist. So I just wear a sweater and my sweat doesn't change based on the environment. So it didn't matter if it was hot. I was still excessively sweaty. So I would just wear sweaters and baggy clothes to cover my sweat. In middle school, I would wear mittens. It's like 75, 80 degrees in Southern California <laughs> on average. So I would wear like snow, like little mittens around my hand to school to just help me absorb my sweat. And one of my teachers at the time was like concerned about me wearing mittens and asked me to take my mittens off. And I was like mortified. I'm like, no way. I'm not taking these off. And they're like, are you on drugs? And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm not on drugs. I'm, I didn't want to say what was going on with me. So I was probably acting very weird, but I was like, no, I don't want to take them off. Finally, I took them off and like, it was just like, for me, it was like traumatic experience, you know, because this was something that was like my security blanket, but I definitely over like have had experiences where people just don't understand why I'm wearing certain things because like, you know, like I said, it's hot outside and I'm wearing like layers or a thick sweater and you know, it's just not normal. Yeah. Do you feel, uh, so, so you mentioned that the, um, the temperature doesn't change the amount that you sweat, but do you feel the temperature changes? Like, is there something going on with your endocrine system or something where, you know, are, are, are you experiencing that extra heat when it is hotter and you have mittens on? Cause I know if I, you know, if I wore mittens in the heat, I would be claustrophobic, uh, but you know, bodies work very differently. Sometimes. And the reason I say sometimes is because basically what they what they predict with hyperhidrosis is that we just have a very narrow like range of thermoregulation. So anything slightly higher, we'll set it off. Anything slightly lower, we'll set it off. Our body just doesn't know when to stop. Interesting. And so, for example, when I, I live in this apartment here, when I didn't have the AC on, it's maybe like 80 degrees in the room. And my husband will come in. He's like, how are you doing this? I don't understand. Why don't you have the air conditioning on? And I'm like, this is normal for me. Like, mm. I'm already constantly sweating that like, I really don't sometimes feel the difference in the actual temperature change because when I sweat, I'm not always hot. And so I'm just excessively sweating regardless. So for me, it was very normal. And I'm used to just like a, be like adjusting to my environment. So sometimes I don't notice that it's very hot because it's more of like comfort for me. Mm. Yeah, that's so there's, interesting. Yeah, there's definitely times where I'm like, okay, I need to take my sweater off. But it's not very common. If anything, I'm actually pretty cold. So um, I'm always, I always have a sweater regardless because I get cold very easily. And the theory behind that is that, you know, when you're sweating, you're releasing heat. So if I'm constantly sweating, my body may not be keeping that heat in. So then I become cold. Yeah, this is so interesting because, you know, as a society, there are things that people generally agree upon, which is, you know, like this temperature is comfortable or this temperature is too hot or too cold. But there are always exceptions. There are always people experiencing something different. Uh, and it's so interesting to hear from your perspective, you know, someone who is experiencing something different than, you know, what 
I would say a majority of people, you know, if you're in that three to 5%, there are other people like you. But I would say, you know, if there's 95% of the people you are around are experiencing temperature differently than you, that sounds very isolating. Did you ever feel isolated by this? Absolutely. Like a hundred percent. I think I realized it more. So I started going to therapy probably six years ago now. And I think that's when I really realized how lonely I felt because a lot of how I expressed what I was experiencing was anger, anger and mad and irritated. And again, I, I had this since I was four years old. So I never really knew how to verbalize what I was experiencing. And so even up until therapy, I didn't know how to identify what I was experiencing. The doctors didn't know how to explain it to me. I didn't know how to explain what I was experiencing. And it was just so bizarre. And like you said, kind of out of the norm. In my mind, I was like, oh, I must just be making this up. Like if no one else can understand me, it must be something that I'm doing to myself. Like, so it was very isolating, definitely. And, um, just difficult because I was like, maybe I'm just overreacting or maybe it is anxiety or maybe, you know, just kind of second guessing everything that like I felt to my core (laughs) was like, Mm. this is wrong. Like I need help, but without, resources in the medical field it just made that made it that much more worse absolutely tell me about being diagnosed you said that happened when you were 14 walk me through that process so it was very much known that like okay i excessively sweat now let's see if we can get help for it and so we went to a dermatologist and they're just like yeah like we've heard of it we know it's something we don't know why it happens and there's no cure or treatment. And so for me, they were like, you could try some topicals maybe, um, but topicals in the world of hyperhidrosis are by no means a sustainable treatment. They can help manage it for sure. But yeah, so then they offered like a, it's called an iontophoresis machine. So it's basically this machine. There's like two metal plates you put um, water in it, you submerge your hands in water, and you turn on this little button that sends electrodes through your hands. At the time, this was very, very new. And so the doctor's like, you can try this. I don't know how to use it. I don't know how often you should use it, but try it. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm desperate. I'm a desperate 14 year old, so I will try anything. Um, so I tried it, it's, it was extremely painful. Um, again, I didn't really know like what regimen or schedule I should be doing these treatments. So I was just winging it. And I mean, it was just a bad experience. It was like very unsettling. Like you're literally being shocked, you know, to some extent with your hands submerged in water. And I had to sit there at the time for like 45 minutes and it's just uncomfortable. Like I didn't want to do it. So like based off that, it just wasn't really effective. Now they have uh, better iontophoresis machines that have like safety uh, controls so that they don't shock you, and they're way much better. And I use those now, um, but it's it's all about managing. There's no like clear cure. There's just a lot of things to help kind of manage your symptoms. Yeah. So, what sort of relief do you get from using this machine? 
So depending on how long I stick with the regimen, there's different regimens. Um, so there's like a six week one, depending on how much you sweat. When I've done that one, um, my underarms are like the first things to dry up within a few days. My feet and my hands take a little bit longer. But after the six week regimen, you still have to do like weekly management. So it just kind of varies. And because my sweating is so unpredictable and you just don't know sometimes how much the treatment will work and how much it won't. Do you know anything about the science of why this treatment is helpful? They don't know. Really? Wow. <laughs> this is so know. interesting. I oh know. God. It's so fascinating. <laughs> I don't, I haven't really spent time looking into like who even thought of this. Like how did they even think to come yeah. up with this? But, um, yeah, it's it's been it's it's one of the better, less invasive treatments for hyperhidrosis to help manage the condition. And tell me again what this machine is called? It's called ion to phoresis. Wow. This is so you you basically like put your hands in water and run electricity through your body and that helps you to not sweat as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a story like i want to talk to the inventor of that you know right? I want, was this like i was drunk at a party and i was electrocuting myself and i wasn't sweaty you know i thought maybe this is useful that's so interesting um so the the actual diagnosis it sounds like you got it from someone who from a dermatologist who didn't really understand the disease very well who's someone who just maybe heard of it in medical school did you feel any sense of validation at that point I think I felt validation like, okay, it's a thing, but it still very much was stigmatized as just a condition that you could manage by like possible meditation or anxiety because there still wasn't like an understanding of what was causing the sweating. And so there wasn't really any much follow-up after that. So once the machine stopped working, I kind of was back at square one and um, just constantly searching. Like I was just like the researcher, the advocate, my own cheerleader. I'm sure you you feel the same in some (laughs) respect, like you're, you do it all. And I have family in Mexico. So I actually went to Mexico to their naturalist doctor to try to find treatment with them I tried something with them it worked temporarily and then it's like my body just needs to sweat so eventually the medic the like powder or whatever I was using just didn't work Mm. so I mean there's always some level of tolerance that your body I think just or my body had that it just wants to sweat (laughs) yeah do you is there an acceptance process that goes into this where you find this diagnosis. You're only 14 at that point. Do you mind if I ask how old you are now? I'm 32. You're 32. So you've been dealing with this for a while. Between 14 and 32, was there a point where you've tried so many things? Do you ever just come to a point of acceptance to say, this is just who I am. This is what my body does. I don't think that happened until I went to therapy because admitting to myself that this is what I had to live with for the rest of my life. Like too difficult. I couldn't do it. Mm. Like I couldn't admit that this was like my reality. And I think that was even harder because I didn't have as much support as I had wished. And because it was still something, um, 
like, where would I get support was the first question. Where would I even (laughs) get support? And, you know, for me, it was always like, I know there's a way that I can live with this. I just need to figure out how. Yeah. And so it was in high school when I was really like, you know what? I can't change my circumstances, but maybe I can make my situations a little bit better. And so I kind of like did my own exposure therapy in that, you know, one of the like big things for me was academics. It impacted my academics a lot. And being in a classroom is like really hard for me because, you know, I'm putting my hands on a desk. They're dripping puddle, like puddles, no exaggeration, puddles on my desk, trying to manage that. My face is drenched. I wouldn't participate in class because I didn't want people to see my face dripping sweat, my underarms dripping sweat. Like I just didn't want anyone to like look at me. And so um, in high school, I was just like, okay, so I'm going to just do raise my hand as much as I can. Like no matter what, I'm just going to raise my hand and I'm going to say something. It doesn't matter what comes out of my mouth. I'm just going to try to raise my hand. I'm going to try to publicly speak as much as I can. And so I just tried like doing these things as much as possible because I was like, I just need to feel comfortable feeling uncomfortable. Mm. And I thought like, if I just practice, it would just make my life a little bit easier. And I think it definitely did. But again, like I was doing this all on my own. Like I was just trying to figure it out and researching and like documenting, you know, my symptoms, if they changed, if I did this and that. And I just became this little researcher on my own body because there was really no other outlet for me at the time. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, fascinating. I mean, I, I'm i undiagnosed and I want that name so badly, but this is a really interesting scenario where you got a name and it wasn't even that helpful because no one's heard of it. There's no research on it. There's no one around who can help you with it. So even though you have that diagnosis, you, that leaves you almost more isolated than not having the diagnosis because it doesn't really open up that many new pathways. You know, that's, that's what I want a diagnosis for is to open up pathways. But this is a really interesting thought of like, what if you get a diagnosis and it doesn't open pathways? It sounds like, it sounds like a really difficult journey. You know, I'm really impressed with just hearing you talk about it and, um, the strength with which you talk about it and the fact that you are willing to even talk about it at all on a public platform and, you know, not just here, but on your blog and on your own uh, social media, you're an incredible advocate for something that I'd never even heard of. So, you know, I mean, it's just, I'm I'm really, I'm really amazed and impressed with your story so far. So tell me about, you know, after you're diagnosed, when you get a little bit older, let's say after high school, getting into college, you know, I'm just thinking back to dating and how I was terrified <laughs> of sweating on dates and I don't have hyperhidrosis. Can you tell me a little bit about that period in your life? I definitely had like a boyfriend in high school that tried to hold my hand and I jumped. I jumped away with like all my might. I was like, no, like don't touch my hand. And I remember them saying like, do you not like me? I'm like, no, I just don't want you to touch my hand. And very much in many of my relationships, even some of my friendships, I felt like I had to, like, I I describe it as like a coming out thing because I hid it so well that people just didn't know. Mm. They just would see like 
my weird reaction to them, you know, to them trying to grab my hand or something. But I didn't want to like tell them like, this is what's going on. And so in a lot of my relationships, I have, I've had to be like, okay, so I need to tell you something like I have this condition. And sometimes I, I can't hold hands. Sometimes I just can't, it, it grosses me out, or it's just too uncomfortable for me. Like, I don't, don't like it. Um, so having to explain that has definitely been something I've had to, like, work my way up to like revealing in my relationships. And many people to some extent are just like, Oh, yeah, I kind of noticed that you know, your nose is a little bit sweaty or your hands are a little bit sweaty, but it, it, if anything in relationship, it's more of my problem than their problem mm. because they don't really care in a sense that like, it doesn't bother them as much as it bothers me. Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, oftentimes the things that we are so self-conscious about, no one else is even noticing. And that's mm -hmm. a real, like, it really messes with your head a little bit to, to be spending so much time. I mean, I have my insecurities that I've spent so many long hours stressing over and sure. things that other people would never even notice. Uh, and it feels so unfair to feel so much shame around something that is only for yourself in some ways. Definitely. I think, uh, I think you mentioned this in one of your podcasts that I was listening to, but it was like, you hide so well, or I used to hide so well, but I was like always surprised. Like, how do people not know? Mm. How do people not see that I'm struggling so bad, but I desperately was just hiding like so well, like how it was just like such a conflict and like, I wanted help, but how do you ask for help? I didn't want to ask for help because I didn't know what I needed. And it's just like this back and forth of like feeling shame because I was like, why? you know, I don't, yeah, I guess shame is a great word to describe it. And I think a lot of people with hyperhidrosis and other chronic illnesses don't want to feel like a burden. And especially if you don't have that support medically, how do you navigate a condition that is unknown? You know, mm -hmm. that's kind of why I started my blog and I called it how to, because my whole life, I just wanted to see someone else that's done it before me mm -hmm. because navigating that on my own is terrifying. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if it's going to work. Like just going into a job itself. I definitely declined jobs because I was like, Oh, this is too much like people interaction. Mm. And eventually it was like leading me to just a life of isolation. Like I, and it was so hard for me to, think of like my life being that way because my personality is not like that. I am an outgoing person. I like social interactions, but my condition very much limits that and makes me quite the opposite. And so I think balancing that and then figuring out what I wanted to do in my life and realizing, you know, this condition actually impacts me on a daily basis more than I thought it did. I was in a bit of denial for a very long time because because it impacts me from the second I wake up to the moment I go to bed, I don't even realize everything that I'm doing throughout the day to adjust because it's just been so much a part of my life since I was like four years old. Yeah. Is there, I'm, I'm curious, is there a part of you that feels unseen when people don't notice? Because you're doing so much work 
and it's a thankless job because no one's no one knows that you're even doing it no one knows that you're living through it at all is there a part of you that wants people to notice so that they so that you can be recognized for the work you are doing to mask this is a weird question it just popped into my head it's interesting rephrase it again i'm not sure how to answer this one yeah so i i'll i'll, I'll frame it through my own experience so okay. When I flared up in my early 20s and I was having a lot of like muscle spasming and difficulty walking for the first time, um, I just wouldn't have people come around because I didn't want people to see me. I, I, had, I was out of work for like a year. Um, this is my first like real long, massive flare up. I'd had some issues in high school and in elementary school, but this one was like, you know, I'm away from the world. And I, some friends would come by and hang out and see me sometimes, but I wouldn't invite anyone over on a day where I was really bad because I didn't want anyone to see me twitching out of control. Uh, so no one saw me twitching out of control. People didn't know what was going on. And, you know, I, I had an episode of the podcast where I spoke with a, uh, an old friend who is now a pain researcher. Um, and he had no idea what was going on with me back then. He just thought that I just didn't want to see him anymore, you know, or that I was just pulling away from the world. Um, and I was feeling so upset that no one knew what was going on with me and how hard I was working to function but i wasn't letting anyone see that part of me so no one saw it and there was a piece of me that was upset that no one had seen it because it's like this is my whole life now you know i'm, I'm working so hard just to get by these episodes of, of spasming are so awful like someone needs to see this and recognize this is happening to me because it's such a big part of me but i was preventing anyone from seeing it so i'm just curious if you ever had similar thoughts of like i want this to be seen because this is such a big part of me, but also you work so hard to hide it so that no one will even notice. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think that's why therapy was, I say therapy for me was just life changing. Honestly, it really put things in perspective for me and it gave me like that voice. It gave me my voice mm. to actually tell people around me like what was going on. Cause very much I wanted and I put in quotes, normal, I wanted to be normal. And my definition of normal was just like anyone who didn't excessively sweat, you were normal to me. Mm. And I wanted that so badly. Like a lot of my life, this researching, this doing all this stuff was because I, in my mind thought I could find a cure. This 14 year old girl is like, I'm going to find a cure. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I put a lot of pressure on myself to figure this out because I felt like I couldn't be happy if I, if I was with this, if I had this condition, like the only way I could be happy is if I didn't have hyperhidrosis. And so I even like push like, and I think that's why now I have like boundaries and I have to really measure my energy and like, okay, how much energy is it going to take me to do this? Because I don't have like this condition takes a lot of my time and a lot of like my mental energy and but as a kid or growing up and even into my adulthood I wanted to do everything I wanted to be normal so anything that people were doing I wanted to be a part of it even if deep down inside I was just like ready to flee at the earliest moment like my skin you know I was just like I don't want to be here I don't want to be here but I'm going to put a smile on my face and people are going to think that I'm having a great time, even though I'm miserable inside. Mm. I think I was upset mostly at my parents because I was like, how do you not know? 
how do you not know? Like I had this for so long. And that's when I realized, like, I really just didn't know how to vocalize what I was feeling because it did come out in just like bursts of anger or like irritation. And what can you do with that if you don't really know the context? And so I would just bury things, bury things, and then they will come out in those ways. And so I think it was hard for people around me to even know because it wouldn't even be related to sweating that I was having these outbursts about. It would be something unrelated. And very much. I remember having a conversation with them and telling them like finally after therapy, finding my own words and explaining to them, like, this is what's been going on with me. And they're like, we had no idea. Mm. You're always so happy. And you always, you know, are like the life of the party. We would have never imagined. And I was like, similar to what you're saying, like, how can you not? How can you not? But then I look back and I'm like, I'm very good at hiding it. Mm -hmm. And even now, like if I'll get into like moments where I realize like, Oh shoot, I think I've been hiding. I could feel it. Like, I feel like I've been suppressing stuff because I'm starting to feel a certain way. Like I know some of my triggers now or like my red flags and it's just such a normal thing because it was, it was my life. And I wanted to portray like it wasn't bothering me at all, even though it bothered me constantly 24 seven. Um, it's hard to get out of that mindset. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, we, you know, I think for, for so many reasons across our society, so many people are trying so hard to not stick out, trying so hard to fit in. And in doing so are repressing parts of themselves. And when you learn to release that, when you learn to share who you are, in my experience, that's when you can find a new level of joy and self-acceptance. Um, and just kind of across the board, you know, I really, I've experienced this with my own chronic illness of just like trying to hide it and then starting a podcast about it, <laughs> talking about it all the time, building community around it. Yeah. And this feeling of shame that I used to have, this feeling of like, I can't be seen on days where I'm not well, um, has really receded. And, and it was a real moment of like shock to me when I realized how much I had hidden myself away. It's like, I can't, you know, w- with a chronic illness, I, I can't hide myself on the days where I'm not well. Like I can't go into isolation every time that happens. Um, it happens too often. So, and I feel like it would happen more often because, I was repressing this whole part of myself. Uh, and, you know, it, I think that we do that because the, for me, it was like the first time I tried to open up to people about it. They didn't understand it. Their eyes glaze over. They look uncomfortable. Um, you know, sort of what I was talking about in the very first episode of this podcast is the reason why I wanted to start this is that I want to create a place where that doesn't happen, where people can, you know, have these conversations and other people are willing to listen. But... But because that's the way that the world responds, oftentimes, I feel like we just kind of internalize the fact that we got to hide this thing, you know? And it's really hard to unwrap that. I think it's hard. One thing I learned, I think it's hard for people to accept something if they don't understand it fully. Mm -hmm. And I don't need you to understand fully what hyperhidrosis is. I just need you to believe me. (laughs) I think because like... It's, it's just such a battle to, one, explain what you're experiencing, especially if someone doesn't 
experiences, how do you put that into terms that they will understand? And so, you know, starting my blog, I just wanted like this one place, like I actually knew another person who happened to be my college roommate Wow. who had, you know, excessive sweating and knew other people. And, um, through that, I was like, okay, so I'm not like the only person in this world, but mine was a little bit more severe because I had it my entire body. And so it was just about like, okay, I want to create something that I wanted as a kid. So I'm going to create this how to hyperhydrosis blog. I want it to be like this one-stop shop where you can learn about a little bit what hyperhydrosis is, the treatments, you know, and then just blogging my life and talking about the things that people don't want to talk about. And like one of those things, like I sweat, you know, on my breasts, on my, like, you know, my butt, all those things that people are like, ew, that's gross. You know, and with my personality, I was like, you know, I think I can pull this off. <laughs> like I tend to be someone who just like says things and blurts things out anyways. So I was like, you know what? I think like kind of what you're saying, talking about it and owning up to it is actually like very powerful. Mm -hmm. And it kind of just like made the shame a little bit less. And over time, when you see people respond like, oh, I didn't know that this is what I had or, oh, my gosh, I could completely relate. It's like. I don't know. It just, it's so meaningful and it's so helpful and just like healing and learning more about the condition. Yeah. You can, you can find a sense of peace inside of this thing. It's like you, you know, this journey of like finding out you have something that you can't remove from your body that you wish you could learning right. to accept it and recognizing that it's a part of you. And did you ever get to a place where you started to feel like, wow, maybe I'm a, I wouldn't, remove this from myself if I could, because it's sort of defined me. Absolutely. And I think I had difficulty, like when I started to explore, you know, what my condition, how my condition was impacting me, like how much of me is me and how much of me is my condition? Because I live with it my entire life. Mm. I identified certain things with me, with my condition. And so try, I had to like find my own identity outside of my condition because it consumed me. So learning how to differentiate that and like, okay, I could be a fun person, you know, without, you know, my condition. And unfortunately, like some of my coping mechanisms weren't the best over the years. So like in college, meeting new people, I used alcohol as a way to allow me to socially interact because it just like silenced my brain from worrying about my sweat. And it takes time as someone with a chronic condition, not only to like find those coping mechanisms, but to just find like your place in the world and accept like, okay, this is who I am. My condition is here to stay for now. And I just need to learn to like walk with it instead of fighting it. What are your coping mechanisms? What are the things that help you get through the day? Honestly, I think I spent so much of my life um, giving myself a hard time when I felt bad. Because I'd be like, no, 
I can't let hyperhidrosis make me feel this way. It can't win. It can't win. <laughs> I have to like change this. And now it's more of just like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling not that great today. Today, like this is going to take a lot of work and energy for me to get through the day to manage this. And that's just how it's going to be. And it's okay that that's how it's going to be. Like if I was, if anyone else is excessively sweating 24 seven, I'm sure they would be just as frustrated and realizing that like my response to my condition is okay. It's accurate. It's okay. Mm. Um, and I think just kind of reminding myself that, um, you're going to have good days and bad days and not every day has to be a good day but not every bad day has to stay a bad day either. If you, you know, like there's still like your happiness to me is, is not a constant, just like any other emotion you have. And so not focusing on being happy all the time, I think really helped me because it allowed me to just feel all the other emotions I was having that I suppressed for so long. So yeah. day to day, I, I just kind of take it day by day. And it's just like, this is what I'm feeling. Okay just kind of rolling with it and letting, I think you mentioned this on your podcast, just listening to your body and what it needs. Yeah. That takes time to like listen to, but um, I think doing that and then um, I don't know. I, I, I laugh a lot and I make jokes that maybe other people don't think are funny, but I think are <laughs> funny. And so I just find ways I think in my life to just lighten up the mood um, because if I let this condition consume me, it very much can. And I won't see like the day of light. I won't get out of the house or something like that. And there's definitely points where I'm like that, where it's very hard for me to leave the house because it's a lot to manage outside of the house. Mm. Um, and, and when listening to your podcast, I actually realized like, Oh, this is an interesting way of explaining my condition because I have generalized anxiety as a result of hyperhidrosis. And so some people don't understand when I say like, I can't leave the house. And it's not even sometimes that I'm feeling anxious. It's just that I have to manage something outside of the house. It's a lot more energy and a lot more just like tricks to hiding or just absorbing my sweat. I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just want to enjoy my time out without thinking about it, but it's always there. So it's always going to be something that I'm like kind of maneuvering around. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of, of really interesting stuff, a lot of wise stuff in there. You talk about like fighting against how you used to feel like you were fighting against this disease all the time. But the interesting thing is when you have a chronic illness and you're fighting against it, you are literally fighting yourself you know, <laughs> yeah. and learning to accept it, learning to listen to it, work with it. You, it now sounds like you're kind of um, fighting with it, you know, just against everything else. <laughs> it's yeah. like you and this disease together, instead of fighting each other, you are now working together. And sometimes that means that you can't go out and that's okay. You know, like I totally, right. I totally hear that. Like um, when I'm having a good day and I'm able to walk and I can go out and do things, it's so easy, you know, it's just like, oh my God. But then on a day where I'm not feeling as well, I need to bring the wheelchair, you know, we got to check the accessibility of where I'm going and um, load the wheelchair in the car, unload it. If we're going to multiple places, 
you're like throwing it in and out of the car over and over make room in the car for the groceries it's so much more work it's just so yes. much more work and there's days where i'm like i don't have that in me today you know like i right. i just need to exist today i don't have it in me to manage this chronic illness outside of this immediate environment that i am in so yeah, that's like totally legit. That totally happens. <laughs> and for people with hyperhidrosis, like our clothes is very much a way that we manage our sweat. Yeah. So for me, like before I leave the house, I have to think about, okay, where am I going? Like if I'm going to a friend's house, what is their floor like? Do they have marble floor? Do they have carpet? Do they have hardwood floor? Wow. Do they want me to, are they going to want me to take my shoes off when I get to the house? If so, like I have to be cautious because if it's marble floor or hardwood floor, like I'll leave wet footprints mm. and I have to make sure I'm not leaving my footprints all around the house. Um, just little things like that. I have to think about going to the grocery store, waiting in lines is like really hard for me to do because I feel like I'm just a sitting duck and my anxiety gets really bad um and like people are more likely to notice you know just different places where people are more likely to notice like crowded areas um and people have asked and pointed things out so it's not like it's just something that i'm concerned about people obviously notice because i'm excessively sweating and they think that i'm stressed out and half the time i'm not stressed out it just looks like i'm stressed out because i'm just sweating so much um so having to explain like no i'm fine Sometimes I just say, yeah, I'm stressed just because I don't want to explain like what's going on. <laughs> um, but yeah, leaving the house and like learning uh, what to wear that can easily adjust to any situation that I will be in um, is something I've had to learn because every environment's different. So again, like especially going to a new place, it's hard for me and I get more anxious because I don't know how I'm going to be able to manage my condition in that new environment. Yeah. So as someone who is an expert, um, for anyone listening who may have either hyperhidrosis or just excessive sweating, what are some tips that you can provide about how to prepare for your clothing for any, any situation? So I usually wear two layers. So I'll wear either like a tank top and a light sweater or jacket over just so I can remove a layer if I need to. And then you still have your sweater to like pull over your wrist for your hands. You can, you know, wipe your hands on your sweater. Um, and sometimes you want to do that just to appear socially. I don't know. Like you're not wearing, you know, a thermal in 90 degree weather. Like you have to like also adjust to like the environment you're in and the social setting that you're in. Um, but yeah, wearing like the material of clothes is very important because some material is not absorbable. So like more synthetic stuff, maybe not be as be as absorbable or are not as absorbable. Um, so cotton is usually a safe one. Um but it, it really, it really depends because not one clothing is made the same. So for example, like I don't usually wear sandals because my feet will literally slip out of sandals. Wow. But if I'm like, if I've done treatment and my feet are dry, um, there's certain sandals I'll wear. So finding the right sandal for me for like sweaty feet is hard. So I really enjoy like rainbows is a good brand that like will really absorb my sweat. 
Um, but shopping for sandals is really difficult or sneakers. Um, certain sneakers like will really start to stink after a while if your feet are super sweaty. Um, I usually use sweat wicking socks or athletic socks because they're like made or designed um, to withstand more moisture. So, you know, switching your socks is also good because when you when you when your whole body is wet, you're prone to like bacteria, fungus, things mm. like that. So, um, I mean, there's a ton of things that <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, this is super interesting. This is so interesting. I love, I, yeah. I love hearing about you know people's expert experience from years of of working through this. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, I have one last question for you. So thinking back, you know, to to towards the beginning of your journey, if you were to be able to address someone who is uh, thinking that they might have hyperhidrosis, who is feeling super alone, who's feeling shame. Um, what would you say to someone in that, in that state to try to ease their way through your experience? I think telling them, like, I get it. Like some days suck. Some days are <laughs> awful. And just, you know, a lot of people don't understand how stressful it can be to just be sweating all the time. And you're not alone. There are so many of us, you know, especially with our hyperhidrosis little community that we've created that want to find other people to talk about it. And it's, it's so rewarding to find another person that you can share the experience with that you maybe don't even have to explain fully what's going on, but we just get it. And I just invite people to talk more about it because I think when you can talk about it with yourself, when you can talk about it with the people around you, with the people that care about you, you'll find that support that you need. And like I said, you don't need people that understand it completely. You just need someone to support you and believe you. And there's definitely people out there that want to listen, that want to share. And, you know, that'll make you feel a little bit less alone. Yeah. And speaking of talking about it, where can people go to find your blog or any other social media, anything at all you'd like to plug? So on Instagram, um, I'm at how to hyperhidrosis. And I also have a website, um, how to hyperhidrosis.com. Awesome. And I'll tag you on uh, Instagram when your episode is posted. Kristen, thank you so much. What a great conversation. I've learned a ton <laughs> I'm so fascinated by, you know, chronic illnesses that I've never heard of before. I, I, someone was just calling me out the other day. It was like, you, we were talking about some sort of health situation. Like, you have, you have a lot of information in your brain now about chronic illnesses. And, you know, that's, that's like a byproduct of doing this podcast. I've just learned so much. And, uh, and this was a totally new one for me. You know, I've never heard of this disease. The way that you describe it, the way you talk about it. You, you've painted a real picture of what it was like to grow up with it and to finally get diagnosed, to learn about how to deal with it. Um, and also, you know, it's just, you, you were so open and honest about something that you felt shame around for so long. And that is just so admirable and so valuable for people listening. So, uh, you did a really, really awesome job. I, I'm so excited about this episode. Kristen, thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show. Thank you, Jesse. I'm 
honored to be on your show and to like, keep listening to all the stuff that you come out with because I'm learning stuff from your other episodes as well. I'm taking notes like, okay, this could be helpful in my next doctor (laughs) appointment or, Hey, maybe I should try this and share this because some of that information of dealing with a chronic condition can really um, help other people as well. Not just, you know, someone with a specific condition, but in general, because it can be hard out there for us. Yeah. It's a, (laughs) it's a real battle getting doctors to listen. And I, I've totally, come leaps and bounds since starting the show being learning how to advocate for myself you know which is something i had been doing for so long and i hate doing but i'm getting better at it and it's becoming less painful because i'm getting so many great ideas from the people that come on this show so absolutely i'm i'm so excited about it and now you're a part of it too which is so great so thank you again (laughs) thank you thanks for listening to this episode of major pain I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Brooke Walters Schmidt, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, and Justin Minnick, and our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpain. Pain Podcast.